Jesus. Uh, Jesus was a lot of things. He was a rabbi. He was a healer. He was a miracle worker. He was a servant. He was a revolutionary in some ways. He was Messiah. He was son of God, son of man. He was Savior. He was Lord. And he was also, in the midst of all of that, a storyteller, and he was a magnificent storyteller. And one of the ways that Jesus told stories was using parables, and we're going to look at one of Jesus' parables together this morning, a parable that's familiar to most of us. Before we do that, though, as we always do, let's pray together. Help us, God, in the midst of uh, the busyness, the clutter, the distractions, the noise of our lives, our worries, our responsibilities. Help us to be attentive to you, attentive to you generally in our coming and going, but particularly attentive to you now and attentive to your word. Give us eyes that are able to see and hearts that are good and fertile soil to receive your word. Grow within us things that bring you glory and bring us joy. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words in any way deviate from your word, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So reading from the Gospel of Luke this morning, chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, listen closely. This is the word of God. After this, and the after this is after, at the end of chapter 7, Jesus' interaction with uh, what the editors say simply uh, is or was a sinful woman. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve, the twelve disciples were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them, to support Jesus and his disciples out of their own means. And while these first few three verses of chapter 8 are by no means essential for understanding what will come later and the bulk of the passage we're reading this morning, they do remind us of several things. First, Jesus spent a lot of time in rural areas and among rural people. Second, the initial and continuing primary focus of Jesus and his ministry and particularly his preaching was the good news or the gospel the good news of the kingdom of God, which he had ushered in and was ushering in and which, and which was presently available in and through him to his hearers right then. And then third, women, including women who had been healed by Jesus and some women who were in prominent positions, women were instrumental in supporting Jesus and his disciples and their ministries from very early on, despite the fact that women in that time were not normally held in high regard by the institutions of culture and religion of their day. But Luke wants us to be sure in this transition and before this parable that his readers understood who Jesus was with and the nature and the character of this kingdom that he was so interested in proclaiming. Verses one, two, three. Now verse four. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, in other words, 
through these rural areas where there was certainly much farming, Jesus told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. When Jesus said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that, and now Jesus quotes from Isaiah 6, Though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. And it sounds from these words, those words, Jesus quote from Isaiah, that Jesus doesn't want his disciples to understand the kingdom of God. But that, on the other hand, doesn't sound like Jesus, who in every way is interested in his hearers and his disciples, understanding his kingdom. So we find ourselves looking for other explanations. In the parallel passage in Matthew's gospel, Jesus seems to be saying that he speaks in parables because... People could not rightly see or understand, rather that in order that they not see or understand. Or Jesus may be saying that people's lack of understanding is not the reason for his teaching in parables, but instead simply the result of it. Or what Jesus might most likely mean is that people's minds and hearts have become so dull and blunted, which happens so much in our public life today in our world, doesn't it? Become so blunted that when God's truth comes to them, they cannot see it, which is not God's fault. They have simply become so mentally lazy, so blinded by prejudice, so stuck in their own worldview, so unwilling to see anything they do not want to see that they have been in, become incapable of assimilating God's truth. And yet Jesus goes on to explain his parable to his disciples because they ask. Verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. This is the mission of the devil. Those on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, by riches and pleasures, and they do not ever mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. And over the last 2,000 years, there have been two primary general ways in which scholars and students of the Scriptures have understood this parable, which is part of the brilliance of Jesus' parables, that they have multiple layers or ways of being understood 
And the two ways that this parable has, have been understood are descriptive and prescriptive. Now first, descriptively, the parable functions as encouragement to Jesus' earliest disciples who in their ministries did what Jesus said. They went out and they preached and they sowed seeds of God's word, Jesus' words. And Jesus sent them out to do this, announcing the kingdom of God in their midst, available to all. And some people responded, and some people didn't. Some people's hearts seemed like hard-packed paths, and others were remarkably receptive. And they experienced the disciples did everything in between, and for all sorts of different reasons. And Jesus' parable declares that such was to be and should be expected. That's just how things are. That's how people are. The varying degrees of people's receptivity to the good news was not about how it was sown by the disciples, Jesus declares. So liberally, Jesus paints a picture of just throwing seeds everywhere one can. But the variety of responses was due to the variety of states of people's hearts and minds rather than some failure or inadequacy on the part of the sowers, Jesus' disciples. And aren't we, don't we, sometimes tend to think if there is failure in ministry, it is all our fault. But Jesus' message to his first disciples and then to the early generations of Christians who were the first to read Luke's words, and to you and me as well, is to simply sow, to spread the word of God, to hold God's word before people, which is what we heard Paul telling or encouraging Timothy to do last week in that passage of Scripture. This is our job. May we do it with grace. To such we are called. Some people will respond. Many people will not. That's not on us. So do not be discouraged. Jesus is simply describing descriptively how things are. Do not be discouraged. Do that to which Jesus calls us. And then there is a prescriptive understanding of this parable that essentially encourages the hearer to be good soil. Inasmuch as it is up to the individual or up to oneself, be receptive to God's word in one's life. And be aware of the things that harden one's heart I'm going to say that again. Be aware of the things in your life, in one's life, in our lives that harden our hearts. Listen to your life. Be mindful. Be aware. Repeat, look at someone next to, next to you and repeat after me. Be aware of the things in your life that harden your heart to God's word. That's a lot. Be aware in your life of the things in your life that harden your heart to God's word. Perfect. Beware of shallowness. Beware of a cursory, simple reading of Scripture. Beware of refusing to let the Word of God and the words of God not penetrate deeply within one's heart, mind, and spirit. And beware of the attraction and the distractions of things in the world that so dazzle our eyes how often we get dazzled 
by other people, by things that we see on TV or the internet, by things that we see in commercials, by things we feel like we must have. Beware of the things that dazzle our eyes or occupy our minds or fill our daily schedules and that, have neither the, that we have neither the attention or the time to rightly give to God's word. Beware of the thorns that can choke. Beware of being soil which thorns so easily grow in. This can be my life very easily. Get rid of the thorns, Jesus says. And then be good and fertile soil. In as much as it is up to us, as much as it is up to you, be receptive to God's word. Make this your prayer. Arrange our lives and arrange our minds and arrange our hearts so that we are receptive soil. And clearly this last soil represents the outcome that the farmer is hoping for and the outcome that God is hoping for and the outcome that Jesus is hoping for. Good soil, good heart, God's goodness in one's life. Jesus never says what kind of seed is being sown in his parable. Some people think it must have been corn. Why corn? Because Jesus says they had ears to hear. <laughs> but the type of seed doesn't really matter. The point is that the seed exists for one purpose, to grow into something greater than it currently is, something that's greater than itself, that has more usefulness, to grow into the purpose for which it exists, to be productive, to become what it was intended to become, to produce fruit that will bring God glory, that will share his abundance, that will bring people joy, that will bring about shalom. And Jesus might say that this is what Jesus' good news and Jesus' kingdom are all about. And this is what Jesus wants, presumably for all people, for all people who will hear and respond, goodness, rich in God's goodness, abundance, well-being, being well, again, shalom. This is what God wants without going over the line to the health and wealth gospel. God loves the world and wants good, his good, for the world. And the scriptures repeatedly paint a picture of people becoming, of people growing, of people becoming into this vision that God has. Growing, growing, growing. But such hasn't always been the case in the church and such hasn't always been modeled by the church. In evangelicalism over the last 100 or 200 years, the message has often been raise your hand, pray a prayer, believe and be baptized, commit your life, and you will secure for yourself a place in heaven. Your ticket punched, your eternity secure, your name written in the book of life. Done, good, done. That's it. And the church has often, too often, made membership, simple membership, the final rest destination rather than a simple step along the way in a stairway to heaven, we might say. 
or on the journey into God's kingdom or what Thomas Merton called the seven-story mountain. The church has sometimes made membership the destination rather than simply a step along the way. Last Sunday, we heard and welcomed into church membership in this community in a new way. The eight members of the confirmation class who chose to profess their faith in the Lord Jesus and affiliate with the visible body of Christ, the church, in a public way, and some of them to be baptized, they successfully completed the requirements of the class They wrote their statements of faith. They turned them in. They read them before the elders. They were examined by the elders. They were voted on and approved. But none of that was the completion of their life in Christ, but merely a step along the way. It wasn't the end, but it was really symbolized a new beginning. God calls us all along the way of our lives to grow, whether we are in 8th grade or 10th grade or 12th grade, or whether we are 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70, 80 or 90. God is calling us continually to grow, which we see in the scriptures everywhere. Becoming the the people God intends us to be. Producing fruit, learning, growing in his grace as children of God and even into our latter years to continue growing as apprentices of Jesus. No one has mastered the things of the master. Too many people have gone to church and I've seen this and you've seen this. Too many people have gone to church for the years or for their whole lives but never grown very much What seeds have taken root in their lives have not gotten enough water or have been choked out by the worries of life and distractions. They are still small plants, not maturing in Christ, bearing little fruit. And yet listen to what Peter wrote in his second letter, which is our memory verse for today. Make every effort to add to your faithfulness, goodness, And to your goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control or self-discipline. And to self-control, perseverance throughout all of the years of one's life and all of the struggles and challenges. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. To your faith and your believing and trusting, add goodness and knowledge, and self-control, and perseverance, and godliness, or God-likeness, and Jesus-likeness, and love for one another, and love for God. And again, the scriptures say here in a different way what that our aim and our goal and the pinnacle of our faith, the Christian faith, is expressed in duty, or obligation, or religion, no, but in love, as being for other people, as having others' well-being in mind, in emptying oneself for others, in being devoted and committed to goodness, God's goodness, for all people. Grow in that way, grow in that direction. Be the kind of soil 
Jesus says, where that kind of growth can happen with God's grace. Described differently, Dallas Willard, in words that are printed on the cover of our bulletin this morning, has written this. Spiritual formation, which is a lifelong journey, is the process through which those who love and trust Jesus Christ effectively take on his character, growth. When this process is what it should be, they increasingly live their lives as he would if he were in their place, growth continually. Their outward conformity to his example and his instructions rises toward fullness as their inward sources of action take on the same character as his, growth. They come more and more to share his vision, love, hope, feelings, habits, growth. This process of conformation, being conformed to the image of Christ, as we might more appropriately call it, is constantly supported by grace and otherwise would be impossible, but it is not therefore passive. Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. In fact, nothing inspires and enhances effort like the experience of grace. Yet it is today necessary to assert boldly and, and often that becoming Christ-like never occurs without intense and well-informed action on our part. This in turn cannot be reliably sustained outside of a like-minded fellowship. Our churches will be centers of spiritual formation or growth in Christ only as they understand what really does make for Christ-likeness and communicate it to individuals through teaching and example in in a convincing and supportive fashion. A church, when it is functioning faithfully and well, will be a community, not simply where people come and sit for an hour a week, but a community that encourages people to grow continually into the image and likeness of Jesus and that supports them in that endeavor, that invites people into apprenticing with Jesus, that helps people train in Christ's likeness, which will eventually produce much fruit for the individual and for others whose lives come in contact with theirs. Among us are students whose dedication to their studies will get them into fine colleges and universities of which they and their parents will be proud. And among us are those whose rigorous discipline in college has opened doors for them in all sorts of jobs that have led them higher. And some of us have worked really hard in our lives to accumulate wealth. And others of us have spent thousands and thousands of hours in the gym or on the court or on the field training to become high-level athletes and impressive physical specimens. But are there any of these things, the crop the sower was seeking, Are any of these things the crop the sower was seeking and the outcome the Lord is after? We know how to train. We know how to work hard. We know how to be determined. But are these the things that God is after in us and for us? In the scriptures we read, be holy as God is holy and be perfect in love 
as your Father in heaven is perfect, having fully arrived in love. We read about walking in Jesus' steps and imitating Jesus, none of which we know from experience happens in a flash, but rather over time, especially as a person seeks to grow into the image and likeness of Jesus. And just as wisdom does not always happen just by age and aging and time, but rather is obtained by asking and seeking and through reflection and conversation and prayer and good counsel and experience. So also, a person doesn't normally drift toward Christ-likeness, but rather moves in that direction, grows through responding to God's particip- and participating with God in one's life. And so my question is for myself and for us and coming out of this passage, how does that happen? How can that happen in our lives? We know that God initiates. He throws the seeds. And the first thing that we can do is to be receptive of heart. To be receptive of heart. Jesus said, the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. God scatters broadly, generously, liberally his word and his words, and those with good and receptive hearts are the ones who hear and receive that seed or those seeds, retain it and persevere, and then growth in Christ toward God and what Willard calls spiritual formation begins to happen. I could give you three steps this morning, or five steps, or 10 steps, or 12 steps about how to do what we can do to make that happen, but I'm gonna keep it really simple at just one step this morning. Are you hearing God's word, receiving it, and retaining it? Are you receiving God's word and retaining it? There is no substitute for this, I don't think. Jesus knew the scriptures inside and out. Jesus was always quoting scripture. He knew it, he studied it, he read it from the time he was a boy and over the course of his life, he was immersed in God's word. In his own words, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And admittedly, it is possible to know the Bible academically, clinically, scholarly, scholarly, intellectually, without it ever penetrating one's heart. This happens, but for those with good and noble hearts who eagerly and gladly receive God's word, God can and will do amazing things in one's life, one's heart, one's mind, in one's home. Receive and retain. Every Sunday this year, you have been offered a small card on the way out of the sanctuary on which is written usually one verse that circles back to the theme or the subject of the sermon or the message that morning, as you will this morning. And we have been encouraged continually to take one of those, either a physical paper card 
or the email that shows up at 11 a.m. And with that, memorize a little bit of God's Word each day, having it written on our hearts so that in that way we might participate with God with hopefully good and noble hearts so that we might receive and retain God's Word. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if a person is actively memorizing those verses, the odds of God's fruit being born in one's life go up. For those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and persevere will produce a crop. The church is sort of like, well, let me say it this way. What do you call a book club that is stuck on the same book for a thousand years? The church. I know it's hard to memorize things. Harder, it seems, the older that we get. Can anyone say amen to that? I also know that most of us spent far more time watching the Warriors win another playoff game this week than we did even trying to memorize a bit of God's Word. Is it true? Do I have an amen for that? Whether or not God has another championship in store for the Warriors this year, I do not know. But I do know that God's desire is for each of us to grow in His grace and to grow continually into the image and likeness of Jesus, His Son, our Lord. In order, not in order that we be loved, but because we already are loved. And I know that all of us still have room to grow in Christ and in maturity into the image and likeness of Jesus, even the best of you. And there are some of you who are really wonderful, still have room to grow. Therefore, I encourage you, as much as I can, read and retain. Read and retain. In the words of Peter to Jesus, to whom else could we go? Who else has words of eternal life? Let's pray. God, as the rain comes down, we're reminded of your grace coming down on the evil and the good alike. You've been good to all of us. You are gracious toward all of us. It also reminds us of the way that you have scattered seed and the way that you water it liberally, generously, broadly, making it available to all of us. By your grace, give us hearts that are receptive to your word. Help us to retain your word and help us to persevere in it so that through it there might be produced by your grace a crop that brings you glory and that inspires and perpetuates your kingdom and that brings your people great joy. May this be so. Amen.